Hello and welcome back to the Broplist podcast. As always, I'm joined with Nathan. And after a three-win special last week, we've been thumped back down to earth with an FA Cup defeat at the hands of Premier League side Brighton. Nathan, before we start talking about what occurred at the Riverside on Saturday, how are you doing in yourself? Obviously, we're in that sort of period. Everyone's going back to work. Uni is sort of back on the mind of you especially. Are you uh, ready to get going in 2023 or are you sort of just wishing you were still off? Yeah, I mean, a bit of both, really. Wishing I was still off, but trying to put my mind back on the rails again and getting focused again for the year ahead. But yeah, I'm all right. What about yourself, Chris? Yeah, I'm OK. I'm uh, I'm all good. Plodding along, making sure I keep my eye on what's happening in the transfer window. And uh, without even trying, that is a brilliant segue. And that wasn't planned at all. Transfer news anyway. It is January, of course. Everyone knows that Baropolis love a transfer window. And we were treated to some quite exciting incoming transfer news last week, all confirmed and done now. Of course, he made his debut against Brighton. Cameron Archer's in the building. Last podcast, we hadn't even mentioned him. It hadn't even really been spoken about. And then within about three days, he was uh, holding up a Middlesbrough shirt and showing us uh, his celebration. Nathan, I mean, it's a great start of the window, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And it's exactly how you want your club to do the business, which is behind closed doors, get it done. And the first time you hear of it, he's pretty much on his way up to Middlesbrough to get everything signed, sealed and delivered. Yeah, we look like we've brought in a player that is hungry to prove what he can do in the championship once again. Of course, everyone will have heard of him last season for his business at Preston, um, where he scored seven goals in 20 appearances. Um, I've I've tried not to get too excited with this one because we had this sort of transfer last season with Flo Balogun coming to Middlesbrough. A lot of build-up by mainstream media that Flo Balogun was making a move down to the championship. He was going to show everyone what he can do, hit the ground running and prove that he can pretty much break into Arsenal's team straight away. And that wasn't the case. There's kind of been that sort of feel around this move with Archer coming into Middlesbrough. Of course, this time he's from Aston Villa, coming down to the Championship. But what has sort of got me feeling a little bit better is he's been in the Championship before. He's came in to a side mid-season in the Championship before and he hit the ground running really well last season for Preston. So let's hope he can do the same for Middlesbrough and keep us up there at the top of the Championship. Yeah, I mean, just touching on Flo Balogun there and I don't want to sort of do a rewind back a year, but it still baffles me after those uh, goals in quite a short space of time, I seem to remember. Um, Peterbury scored and... Birmingham as well, wasn't it? Yeah. And I scored for England around that time as well. And then subsequently was dropped and never really featured again from the start. I mean, obviously when you've got players of the calibre of Aaron Connolly, it makes a little bit more sense. Who just has seemingly managed to fall on his feet again and 
he's in the championship again with Hull, isn't he? Back on loan. And I mean, when the inevitable comes in a in a few weeks or months, whenever the whole game is, I'll probably be in tears on the podcast. So um you've got that to look forward to. <laughs> um yeah, as you say about Archer, I think it does obviously have shades of the Balligan signing, but as you mentioned. I feel a lot more comfortable and a lot more excited, actually, because of the fact that we've seen what he can do in this league. Um, an interesting point that you make as well is the fact that he's come into a team mid-term. It, it wasn't a sort of coming in in the summer for Preston and then gradually finding his feet. He sort of come in and made an immediate impact and obviously we'll be hoping that he can do that for us. And a great celebration, actually, as well, obviously, with the with the name Archer. Yeah likes to give it one of them and, and pull the ball out. So, yeah, I'm all, I'm all for that, a little bit of differentiation on the celebrations. Obviously, we've spoken about knee slides previously on this podcast. And, I mean, if you pardon the pun, it can add a string to our ball in terms of our <laughs> celebrations. <laughs> also on the transfer front, Nathan, <laughs> we've had a bit of outgoing news and thank goodness that you reminded me of this. Um, Massimo Luongo has departed. I think his deal was pretty much already done at the end of January anyway, but his deal was um, cancelled early um, so that he could head off to Ipswich, never made an appearance, was brought in under Chris Wilder. And to be honest, a lot of people thought he would be quite a handy addition, but I think probably because of the emergence of Hayden Hackney, he was just never really given a chance. And... I mean, that's all that can be said, really. Um, he just... It, it turned out to be uh, a signing that I'm sure may be in a, a Borough trivia quiz in about 10 years' time as to <laughs> one of the random signings that happened under Chris Wilder that most people will be kicking themselves when they can't remember in a, in a few years' time. But, yeah, Nathan, obviously, I, I can't imagine that you were, you were too upset by that news. No, I wasn't. I wasn't upset by it, but I just kind of think that people will look back on it as a nothing signing. But I think at the time we were sort of crying out for a body in midfield. We got one in on a free transfer, and unfortunately for for Luongo, he wasn't needed. So best of luck to him at Ipswich. It looks like that they're firing themselves back into the championship after a few years down in League One. So hopefully he goes there and gets a bit more game time and, and, and does really well for them. Yeah. And then, of course, we also had the... Well, we didn't really get an official confirmation from the club, actually, but we sort of threw Michael Carrick and through actually Graham Bailey, who sort of suggested it before the press conference, uh, received the news that Tuber Akpom's one-year option on his contract has been taken, has been activated, so therefore he now has 18 months remaining on his contract. I mean, it's fantastic news, especially considering some of the interest that has been reported from Premier League sides, and it, it just gives us that bit of extra security, and obviously in Tuber's form at the moment, there was always going to be interest, but it sort of puts your mind at ease a little bit that even if we do receive a, a bid, we can sort of stand firm. And, and I think all of the noises coming out of the club is that they're quite confident that he's going to be there after January anyway. Yeah, I think even going into this window, I sort of always expected that Tube Rackpom would be a Middlesbrough player. I think 
if Premier League clubs are looking at him in this window, they are looking out of a little bit of desperation. Um, of course, Tube Rackpom's been sensational for Middlesbrough so far this season. But it is also very important to say that this is Tube Rackpom's best form of his career. He's in a very, very hot patch of form so far for Middlesbrough this season. So I think the, the clubs looking at him in the Premier League would certainly be taking a risk there. But glad that we've got Tuba for 18 months more, at least. I think that in in time, the club will, will be discussing with Tuba over an actual extension. Yeah, and then, of course, I mean, I guess it, it almost ties in with the arrival of Cameron Archer. We're now hearing um, more concrete reports that it seems like Rodrigo Nunes is going to be leaving the club um, just shortly before we started recording, actually. Um, Real Valladolid in Spain has shown interest in taking him on loan. And I think as soon as the Archer arrival was confirmed or even just talked about, really, everyone sort of thought it, the writing was on the wall a little bit for, for Nunes. Um, obviously, I mean, I, I think if you go back and listen to our podcast around about the time that he arrived, I was so excited by his arrival. And actually, I still think there's a player there, to be honest, although he might not fit Michael Carrick's way of playing. I think if he stayed in England or, or went elsewhere, someone is going to get a good striker. And, you know, sometimes just things just don't work out the way you sort of hoped. And, given that sort of long, drawn-out process of, of the transfer saga, it I think we were all just praying that it would work out. And almost a little bit similarly to Piero, there's been a long, drawn-out process and then it sort of just hasn't really transpired the way we all dreamt it would. But, um, yeah, Nathan, as I say, the right was on the wall a little bit. Obviously, nothing's happened as of yet, but it feels like, obviously his days on loan at Middlesbrough are numbered. Yeah, it certainly does. And it is unfortunate. Um, of course, this saga has gone on over well, a few years now, hasn't it, with the links to Rodrigo Muniz. Um, the sort of teasing Borough fans in the summer with his imminent arrival and then arriving at Middlesbrough, scoring early on in his Middlesbrough career away at Watford. And me and you were sort of adamant that he'd be the man to get Middlesbrough firing on all cylinders. And unfortunately, it wasn't to be. I don't really think that we can blame him all too much. He was thrown into a side that had a manager that, one, didn't want to be here, two, had a side that were, well, very much underperforming under his tutelage. It, it's unfortunate that he was brought in under a manager that is no longer here. And Carrick did trial him out in his first game at Preston. It evidently didn't work too much, considering from then on, Marcus Force fulfilled that striker role up until the last few weeks. But I'm sure that wherever Rodrigo goes, whether that be abroad into Spain, as the links are sort of saying, or if it's to another club in the championship, I think that whoever gets him is getting a, a striker that certainly has a, a very good skill set as a, as a forward. 
and also the potential to grow as a footballer as well. He is still young. He has still got potential to grow. But, yeah, not all of the uh, the Samba stars at Middlesbrough have worked out in the past. Yeah, yeah it's, it's disappointing, isn't it? I, on a personal level, I mean, I come on this podcast, what, three, three four months ago it would be now, I guess. Um, yeah. And I think I said the words, I will die on the Rodrigo Munez hill. Um, yeah, I think I'm pretty much already dead on that one. <laughs> yeah, it, it hasn't worked out. And do you know what? I hope he goes and finds himself on loan abroad because for me, I don't know about you, Nathan, he screams of going to another championship up club on loan and absolutely flourishing and everyone saying well why did we get rid of him why did we get rid of him even though it would make it it makes sense doesn't it especially with the arrival of of Cameron Archer I think clubs wise he absolutely reeks of a Watford on loan yeah. um but yeah I'm kind of crossing my fingers that he does go abroad because I think that would hurt me, to be honest. I was so invested in the transfer saga that I just thought, well, if the saga's anything to go by, that he's going to just be the second coming of Drogba. Uh, <laughs> he is a good player, but he's not quite Drogba, and he doesn't really fit into Michael Carrick's plans. So, uh, so yes, that um, that one seems like it'll be sorted in, in the coming weeks, I guess. Um, I guess that's all on the transfer front, obviously. Yeah, Cameron Archer's the main, I guess, intriguing bit of news. Um, someone argue it, it would be Luongo, but, um, you know, um, I think I've seen a few clips on Twitter of, of Pep Guardiola claiming that he could not be replaced. Um, of course, that, <laughs> that clip of him referring to Aguero, but yeah, I think we'll just about manage. Um one name that has been mentioned, I guess, in that midfield, similar position to Luongo, really. And it hasn't really been covered to the extent that some people are talking about online um, by a credible source in, in terms of the transfer being that far ahead, I guess. Dan Barlasser, Football Insider, of course, uh, reported that we were interested in a move for the ex-Newcastle man. And, I mean, it seemed to pick up on Twitter over the last week without any credible source, as I mentioned, sort of reporting anything. So, sometimes transfers like that, I guess they just crop up. I think I seem to remember Crooks was sort of a few Rotherham fans on that end said, oh, well, he's off to Middlesbrough and no one had reported it yet. And then by the time he was having his medical, everyone was like, well, that's sort of come out of nowhere. So um, perhaps we might see a similar situation to that. But, yeah, I guess with Luongo departing, it, and we've already sort of discussed it, it, it would be a, a good addition, actually. Yeah, it would be um, a player that has flourished for Rotherham in recent years, particularly last season in League One. But he's been one of the key men for Rotherham that have made the step up properly to the Championship. Um, I think when Rotherham came here earlier on in the season and, and they got that nil-nil draw, I think that they were very much a well-drilled, decent side um, at this level. 
But since then, Paul Lawn has left them um, and gone to Derby County. And as a result, that stability at the football club has sort of gone amiss um, since November, December time. And unfortunately, a lot of the players that were mainstays in that Paul Warren side and that were key linchpins in that side of, of, of sort of gone off the boil a little bit. Um, it seems that Barlassa and Ogbené, who is also a key man for them, are, are both coming to the end of their Rotherham deals and are both looking to push on for moves. Um, it appears that their better players are starting to want to jump ship now. And I suppose that that's, that's fair enough, considering that those two have been probably the standout players for them so far this season. And they look like that they are going to be a sinking ship come May. So, yeah, Dan Barlasser, good player, um, made the step up really well. Seems to be more of a combative midfielder type. Um, I think that in the long term, the hope will be that Johnny Housen will be phased out in terms of his minutes. He can't keep on playing every minute of every game for Middlesbrough as much as that would be amazing. I think Barlasser will be coming in as another midfield option to sort of take that, take the reins from Johnny Housen. And yeah, it appears that everything sort of points towards that transfer. Um, Dan Barlasser, as you mentioned, Chris, from Newcastle's academy, from Newcastle, He's got a family um, that's that's a new young family, and apparently they they they'd like to move back up north, back to their home. So, yeah, it appears that everything sort of points in the direction of a move back up north, and Middlesbrough seem to be credible suitors for that transfer. So, yeah, it appears that it looks like everything's ready and set to happen with that deal, but. As you mentioned, no credible links yet, just sort of the rumour mill on Rotherham's forums is uh, ramping up very nicely. Yeah, yeah, it certainly has a feeling, uh, I guess, all of the, the points that you mentioned about him having a young family, of course, originally being from the northeast. that, you know, that deal feels like a matter of um, when rather than if. Um so, yeah, we'll uh, wait for some more credible updates on that one. Uh, unfortunately, Nathan, we can't just keep on talking about transfers. We do actually have to talk about the game that happened on Saturday. Brighton, we've put it off, uh, put it off rather, for long enough. Um, yeah, it was a footballing lesson, I guess you could call it, from Brighton in certain parts of the game. Obviously, we'll go through the goals and talk about some of their individuals. But, you know, given what we talked about in the last podcast, that we weren't overly fussed by the result. I guess we probably never wanted it the way it did. But, obviously, you know, Shipping five goals is, is never nice, um, but we're out the cup. And I guess the old cliche, we can now concentrate on the league. Yeah, it's exactly the way you put it there, Chris, a footballing lesson. And it showed the gulf in class between the Championship and the Premier League. 
a team that have been in the Premier League and that have, have that have established themselves over a number of years now. And yeah, I'd, I'd seen a few sort of murmurs following the game on social media of fans saying, well, they're eighth in the Premier League and the gulf is that big. And my, my reply was, do you know how good you have to be to be eighth in the Premier League? Yeah. It's outstanding to be at that level. You you are the best of the rest outside the top six plus money bags Newcastle. So, yeah, they're, they're, they're performing outstandingly well, Brighton, well above their weight. And they just continue to get everything right on and off the pitch. Um, yeah, going into the game, one change for Borough for this one. Um, Dara Lenahan out of the side with injury. Um, fans before the game had spotted Dara with a moon boot on his foot, um, which initially doesn't look like the best news in the world. But Michael Carrick did say post-match that it was as a precaution. Daryl Lenahan had spoken to a few fans and said, yeah, it's just as a precaution. I'll hopefully be okay for next week. Which is good news that it doesn't appear to be long-term. That's that's the best news that we could hope for, that if we are dealt with injury blows, that they are short-term injuries. And, of course, Daryl Edaham was replaced in the starting eleven with Paddy McNair taking up a centre-half role. We had seen him play centre-half for Chris Wilder's side, but in a back three. This time he was in a back four. And, yeah, it wasn't the best afternoon for Paddy McNair and the rest of the Middlesbrough side. As Brighton started very quickly and very fluently, didn't they? Um, zipping the ball about on one touch moving in tandem a well-oiled machine certainly and within the first five minutes I turned to my granddad and said we'll be lucky if we don't ship minimum three here just by the way that they were passing the ball I could tell that our side would be chasing shadows all day and within eight minutes Borough were one nil down right and down the left playing some some neat stuff. In this case, it is a bit fortunate. A ball down the line from Purvis, a stupid hand, takes a slight nick. I can't remember who off, but falls into Evan Ferguson. And all of a sudden, Ferguson plays a ball into, into the Middlesbrough box. Solly marches pretty much in acres of space, got the full Riverside to to do whatever he liked, really. Penetrative run through the middle of the park, fires a shot at Stefan. Stefan makes a really, really good save in the first instance. Borough have a few players that retreat to the line and Pascal Gross buries the rebound. Brighton 1-0 up. And I really did start to panic. I really did think that this could be a, a long afternoon and Borough could be in for a chasing. But we did bounce back quite quickly, didn't we, Chris, with that man again? Yeah, that man again, that metaphorical train that we all love. Um, and it's just the sort of goal and assist that you uh, you almost expect to see every Saturday now. Um, 
it's actually a, a really good move and a, a good counter attack, and it ends up being that sort of typical phase of play where it's worked out wide to Ryan Giles. He manages to deliver quality as he always does, and Tuba rises above uh, Colwell, I think it is, um, directs his header towards the bottom corner. And actually, upon reflection, I think Tuba can rightfully claim it, but I'm not too sure whether it's an own goal from Jason Steele, because I think he initially makes the save onto the post and then sort of just fumbles the rebound into the back of the net whilst trying to cling on to the ball. <laughs> um, I mean, one thing's for certain, if this podcast had started when we were probably, God, about 10 years younger actually now, I think... Jason Steele would have got the Joel Lumley treatment from me and you, would be honest, because, I mean, I know it's never nice to talk about academy graduates like it, but I never really was a huge fan of Jason Steele, and he almost, I mean, did us a favour with that. It's a great header from Tuba, but, yeah, I think um, if it's perhaps uh, Sanchez, Brighton's usual goalkeeper, I think he makes the save, to be honest. Um, But nevertheless, Tuba wheels away, and... The Tuba train has an FA Cup stop to add to its many other stops this season. And at that point, actually, it was a great time to score. And I think just after that, Riley McGree has a chance, which, in fairness to Jason Steele, makes a good save from. Um, Another good counter-attack. And unlucky from Riley McGree, pretty much does everything right. It's a powerful strike. And as I say, Steele makes the save. And at that point in the game, you almost felt like the tide was sort of, sort of starting to go the other way a little bit, but um, Brighton almost managed to um, weather that quite quickly. And then, of course, uh, were punished. And, yeah, Adam Lalana, who actually, I must say, put on one of the best individual performances I've ever seen from an opposition player whilst at Liverpool at the Riverside. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, uh, I do. Era. Um, yeah, he was back. And he was involved in that second goal for Brighton, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. I remember that that performance at the Riverside for Liverpool a few years ago. Um, in in Jurgen Klopp's side, it was the the early era of of Klopp at Liverpool, and yeah, we we got a chase in that day. I think we got done three nil, and James Milner was probably the first player I've ever seen pocket to Dama Traore um, when. A lot of a lot of fans sort of viewed that one as Adama's going to kill him for pace here, but no, James Milner, as the season pro that he is, did really well that day. But going back to this game, yeah, Brighton get that get themselves back in front once again. This time from the opposite side, from that right hand side, Solly March down that side, um, a, a left footed player playing off the right in this instance, cuts inside, whips a ball to the back post. Karu Mitoma, who was a nuisance in that first half and a nuisance until he got uh, substituted in the second half, does really, really well. I think this is initially a shot and I think it is going in as well. Does really well, comes around the back post, kicks the ball into the ground on the volley and... It loops over Zach Steffen towards the back post and two Brighton players are, are flying in at the back post anyway. 
I mean, I've said flying in there. It 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 was probably not flying. It was probably walking in at the back post. Yeah. Adam Lalana nods that one in at the back post, and Borough go into the break two one behind, and. I think that that goal may have sapped a little bit of the life out of Borough. Um, I think, as you were saying there, after our equaliser in the first half, we did have a few more instances where we were doing quite well on the break, breaking in numbers. But, yeah, that goal sort of killed us a little bit. And in the second half especially, we didn't really get out of our half at all. Brighton played really really well um had the two center halves I, I would say on the halfway line but they probably weren't they were in our half for most of the game um Levi Caldwell and Van Heck both very good young players both good on the ball both quick so if we did have any instances where we'd play a long ball up to crooks or play a long ball down the side these two centre halves would be there on the cover anyway, with with their pace to to knock it back to Jason Steele and start again. But yeah, Borough struggled um, after the break, going into that second half. Alexis McAllister, fresh off the back of winning the World Cup, getting an assist in the World Cup final, came back and I think that this was his first appearance for Brighton since coming back from the World Cup. I know he was on the bench against Everton last week, but came off the bench to to warm applause from the Brighton fans and he got his goal, which I didn't know who it came off um, in this instance. But yeah, Brighton down the left-hand side again. Um, Purvis is stupid and the ball breaks for him and he fires a shot that would have been going well wide and it sort of just falls into the path of McAllister and very cleverly, very astutely flicks the ball beyond Stefan into the far corner with like a Cruyff turn sort of flick. It's it's an outstanding finish, the the cleverness to rearrange his footing as quickly as he does as the ball's coming to him is is outstanding. And yeah, that, that one definitely killed the game and, and, and ripped the game away from us, didn't it, Chris? Yeah, it did. And it's uh, I guess it's um, a finish of, of the level of someone that has lifted the World Cup a few weeks earlier. Um, and... Yeah, I feel like once the third went in, like you say, it almost felt like attentions immediately turned to Millwall. Not that I would ever say that we stopped trying because if you looked at people like Johnny Housen and, and Chubarak Pom in the second half, they were literally dead on their feet from just chasing the ball, really. Um, I think it was around about just before... Uh, sorry, just the goal comes just before the period where Brighton kept the ball for what felt like just 10 minutes of the game. The Brighton fans had the Olays coming out, the ironic cheers, which is never nice, especially at home. And at that moment, you're almost looking for someone just to go and take a yellow card and um, and basically kick someone up in the air and just stop that. Because it, it, 
it did almost get a little bit embarrassing. And don't get me wrong, Brighton, they are a very well-drilled team. The way that they rotate the ball and, I mean, almost... It had that feeling of a training session, didn't it? It was like they were working on phases of playing, just sort of keeping the ball, turning out one way, going at um, our full-backs and our midfield a different way, and then just, yeah, um, getting... And I think at this point in the game, not that I become annoyed, because I kind of... I think the players and most of the supporters sort of accepted that, you know, Brighton had shown exactly what they were about. And obviously we have ambitions to go and achieve things in the playoffs, but it almost felt like at that stage of the game, it was just in kids football, the referee would have just blown his whistle and said, Right, we're just going to stop it here. We don't want to embarrass them too much, and it, it did. It did honestly feel like that, which, yeah, as I say, it's a little bit embarrassing considering. Not for one minute am I underestimating, as you said earlier, Brighton being that high up in the Premier League. But you know, it's it's not a Chelsea or a Man United or a or a Tottenham or a Liverpool. It's it it still is Brighton, I guess, and that. You know, the pride takes a little bit of a dent, doesn't it? Um, and I, I'm not going to lie. I think that was what was winding me up after because you saw all the comparisons on Twitter about however many years ago we were facing Brighton in a deciding game to decide who made the Premier League. And obviously on that day, we come out on top. But since then, I think it's fair to say that Brighton have kicked on and we've went the complete opposite way. Um and it was almost a little bit frustrating in, in hindsight that obviously, I mean, we're not going to go into it, but so many incorrect decisions have been made by Middlesbrough Football Club and so many correct decisions have been made by Brighton. But yeah, um, there was two more goals. And in fact, ironically, undeserved. There was one chance um, after the introduction of Cameron Archer at, at 3-1 where Tuba actually goes through on goal and probably should square it to Archer. Instead, he opts for a shot. Steel saves quite easily. Um, and that's before McAllister gets his second. Um, yeah, Nathan, it's it's draining me even talking about these last two goals because at that point, it it really did have that training session feel for Brighton, didn't it? Yeah, it did. It's the old Simpsons meme, stop stop it's already, already dead. dead and yeah Middlesbrough were dead on their feet after chasing Brighton's players round and chasing the ball round for 60 odd minutes and then they, they made some changes brought on some fresh legs and had pretty much prototypes of what had already been on the pitch prior running round and just keep on passing the ball on one touch and yeah fair play to them in this in this case a stupid and drives inside from left back switches it out to to march march plays it down the line it's cut back and McAllister puts it in the bottom corner the opposite corner and yeah Brighton a four up and then the fifth comes I'm just going to get it over and done with. The fifth yeah. comes from Dennis Undav. Um, 
a ball down the right-hand side, Undav's there, and he fires a shot in off the post to Zach Steffen's right-hand side, 5-1. I mean, the Riverside pretty much cleared out at four because it, it was a day where... I think a lot of fans would have brought younger, younger fans to get involved with, with it being the FA Cup and and whatnot, and people maybe not expecting, but people maybe thinking that Middlesbrough could provide a little bit of an upset by beating a Premier League side once again, but it wasn't to be. Brighton ran out thorough winners of this tie, and Middlesbrough's focus almost definitely switches back to the championship where next week we host Millwall at the Riverside. Yes, we do. And I'm so glad that you quickly transitioned into next week because I'm done even thinking about it. <laughs> not, not that it really infuriated me because, as I say, I'd hold my hands up and say I'm a bit of a Fairweather Cup fan anyway. Um, but yeah, I don't want to be at the hands of another being like that for a long, long time, and hopefully that is the case. Um, but yes, Millwall travel to the Riverside. And over the last few years, especially, it's always felt like it's been a big, not turning point, but they've always been big games in terms of, I think, back to the season where Housen and Asambalonga scored against Millwall. And then even looking back at Chris Wilder's reign, it was around the time where we were really in good form and sort of Millwall just pegged us back, really. I think it was it ended up being a draw, actually, I seem to remember, um, last season. Um, and then, of course, Millwall, over the last few years, in fairness, have always, around about this time in the season, been in and around the top six anyway. So... Of course, it's a big game again for us, as a lot of the games recently have been in, in terms of, you know, teams close to us in the table with Blackburn especially. Um, but yeah, Millwall, they're an interesting club, aren't they? You almost know what to expect. Um, their play style never really changes all too much and it seems like they have the same players and have had the same players for about eight years now and the team hasn't really changed of course it has um, but yeah it, it'll be a difficult test as it always is against Millwall yeah of course it will we know what they're like and what they bring to the table in terms of their footballing style if you want to be physical with them they'll be 10 times more physical with you and kick you up in the air. The very streetwise, one thing that struck me the other week watching Millwall against Watford was the streetwise ability of a few of their players to get players sent off. Um, In this case, it was Hassan Kamara for Watford, got himself sent off because... McNamara from um, Millwall gave him a slight elbow in the side as Kamara had committed a foul. Kamara turned round, put his head towards McNamara. McNamara dived behind, holding his face, 
Kamara's sent off and Millwall ran out winners and comfortable winners at that in that game. Yeah. So in terms of the play style, as you say, they haven't changed at all pretty much since, well, as long as I've been watching football, really. They're the same old Millwall, um, a difficult test. You know exactly what they're going to bring. But what's always struck me with Millwall is that they always seem to have players that are all at a very similar level and they don't have many standouts, but this season's provided a bit of a, a different season for Millwall with the introduction of Zian Fleming for them. Um, if you cast your mind back to the game at the Den earlier on in the season, Fleming was the the goal scorers for Millwall that day as they ran out 2-0 winners. One of those goals was a bit fortunate um, early on in the game, a free kick that took a massive deflection, wrong-footed Zach Steffen and put Millwall into the lead early on in the game and pretty much killed us. Um, it was under Leo this game. So I wasn't expecting too much going to the den in this case, but they look like a side that could have been got at if we had been well drilled in any manner, shape yeah. or form. But yeah, with Fleming, he's certainly their danger man. I think he's he's in double figures already for goals this season. And everything that they do runs through him pretty much. Um, they do have an ex-Middlesbrough man, someone that you're very fond of, Chris, in central midfield, George Savile, um, a, a player for Middlesbrough that was was nothing short of outstanding um, <laughs> in his time at the club. Um, of course, as you mentioned there, Millwall's side hasn't changed in pretty much eight years yeah, it hasn't because George Savile left for a spell and then returned yeah. to uh, to Millwall and the Den. Um, yeah, I'll I'll let you uh, tell the podcast your thoughts on George Savile, Chris. Yeah, um, I guess fortunately for George Savile, this podcast wasn't around back then when he was when he was still here. Um, I think it's fair to say if anyone has followed me on Twitter before this podcast even started. I was never George Savile's biggest fan. <laughs> but yeah, Millwall, as, as you say, Fleming's the danger man. Ten goals already this season. Three behind the main man in the championship, who, of course, we already all know who that is. Um, but yeah, of course, without Jed Wallace, that's one other change, I guess, because he was always their other danger man, I guess, before this season. Um, but yeah, Millwall, um, fans wise, they normally actually bring an okay amount of fans, which is always nice because most in the championship just refuse to bring any more than about 10 um, <laughs> to the Riverside. And actually, speaking of away fans or potential away fans coming to the Riverside, I cannot wait to see the incredible amount that Preston bring to the Riverside um, because I mean this week we've discovered that actually they are one of the biggest cl clubs in English football um, obviously they took Cameron Archer decided to join the bigger club um, extremely well 
a few Preston heads have rolled since that was announced. Um, obviously, because we didn't mention Preston matched the financial package that Middlesbrough put forward for Cameron Archer, and he did in, um, indeed decide to come and join Michael Carrick's um, high-scoring Reds instead <laughs> of trudging off back to Deepdale. Um, so, yeah, any Preston fans that may be listening, they won't be, but maybe in a, in a few months when that comes round, hopefully they can be humbled because, I mean, let's, let's be honest, they did humble us <laughs> the last game of last season. So, yeah, a bit of payback's probably needed in that case. Um, yeah, enough about Preston. They had a bit of success about a million years ago and have been pretty irrelevant in the English football period <laughs> since then. So I don't want to talk about them anymore. Um, Millwall, at least you'll come and make a racket and hopefully we can continue our good run of form in the league and just put that Brighton game into a little box and, and lock that and, and throw away the key and never think about it again, Nathan. Yeah, I think that is the hope that we bounce back from the defeat against Brighton with a win against Millwall. As I mentioned last week, the run in the league in the next three particularly is very difficult with Millwall coming up along alongside Sunderland away and Watford back at the Riverside at the end of this month. Three very difficult games and... I think these three will really give us a gauge of if we are able to compete at the top of the championship once again. But, yeah, it's certainly going to be a very difficult test, as we have discussed. Let's just hope the boys can uh, get back on the winning trail and, yeah, keep keep us up up the top of the championship because it is nice when you fire up Sky Sports score app and click click on the championship table and, and, and see Middlesbrough in those playoff places. I mean, getting, throwing it back to August, um, September and October, you'd have yeah. to scroll down, which is, I mean, nothing short of embarrassing really. So, yeah, it's nice to see us back up there again. So let's hope that the boys can keep us there. Yeah, and it'll certainly obviously be interesting to see uh, what Michael Carrick decides to do with the team. Obviously, we're yet to sort of know the extent of Daryl Lenahan's injury. I know there was word of precaution and hopefully that is the case. Um, and yeah, of course, there's Cameron Archer uh, to add to the mix now. So I guess... Um, I guess he's got a decision on his hands, but fortunately it's not us making that decision because we would hit to upset the big tree. Um, we'll leave that Michael Carrick if that is going to be um, Crooks' place in the team being lost. But uh, yes, anyway, I think that wraps us up, to be honest, Nathan. Um, obviously, first part of the podcast really was sort of dedicated to transfers. Not really planned in any way but I guess in the back of our heads we probably just didn't want to talk about Brighton but thankfully that's over and done with now and as I say it can be forgotten about uh, is there anything else I need to cover Nathan that this sort of becoming a running theme where I ask you um, so I don't <laughs> think I have but I'll ask you anyway no I think we're all good um, just as I say the hope is 
that we we get back on the winning trail against Millwall. And also the hope is that everyone that wants one gets a Sunderland ticket in the week, despite the tiny allocation away at that lot from up the road. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there is a lot of things in the world that you probably have more chance of than actually getting hold of a Sunderland ticket. So good luck to anyone trying to get tickets. And if you've got that many loyalty points, then it's a massive fair play from me, especially. Um, but yes, that's uh, that's us done for this week. Slightly more of an upbeat podcast considering the result, but I guess we probably are just more upbeat at the fact that we can forget about it and concentrate on league action. And we do also have Michael Carrick in charge of the Mighty Borough. Um, so from me and Nathan, thank you ever so much as always for watching or listening, whichever you may decide. And as always, if you've watched us on YouTube, give us a like and subscribe to the channel. And as for audio platforms, do give us a kind review. It would make us feel an awful lot better after shipping five goals. Um, yes, that's us done. Thank you ever so much for watching and listening. And we will see you again next week with another episode of the Broblis podcast. Oh.